Uh, hey, before we jump in the word, let's, um, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and allow the Lord to prepare our hearts, okay? And so, Father, we now uh, lay ourselves before you. We have, we have sung great scriptural truths. We are quiet now before you and, and lift our hearts to you. Our Bibles are open. Our ears are open. We're asking now, would you open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we may see you rightly. Lord, we want to be ready for what you are doing uh, all over the world. But we especially want to be ready right now for what you want to do in our lives and in this church today. Lord, would you free us from distraction and would you um, allow our hearts to burn within as we learn about you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles, it's to the left a little bit, maybe to the left of what you're used to reading. We've been in the series of Second Chronicles, and we're calling it Revival. And we said that this book is all about God through His people, reviving hearts. And from hearts, uh, we see ripple effects in the community of people coming back to God. Uh, we, we said that um, it's kind of like going on the, the surgery table and our great doctor and physician God opening up our chest cavity and just making us new, reviving us, putting that defibrillator on, if you will, and saying, Lord, in what areas of our hearts do we need to, to mend, to grow, to turn, to re revise and renew? Lord, would you do a great work in us? We saw early on this great verse in, the, in chapter 7, verse 14, where Solomon calls out to God, and then God says, I'll tell you what, here's, here's my plan. If you, my people, if you what? You remember? If you call upon my name, if you humble yourselves, if you turn from your wicked ways, and I, I'm going to hear you. And if you do that, I'm going to forgive you guys. I want to do this. And I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal your land, it says in the text. And it's really exciting because that's a relational God that we, that we deal with. And we saw how, how uh, uh, last week, this guy named Jehoshaphat, when he was faced with fear, do you remember this? The armies were coming on him, and what did he do? Lord, right? He prayed. And so remember, this time is not just a, a monologue to just begin and end. We want to just continue it and say, how did it go this week, people of God? How did it go praying when you faced your challenges, when you faced fears, the ups and downs of life? How did we do praying? Giving God the glory, remembering that he's in control, that he is in charge. If he's in charge of my salvation, surely he can handle this situation, right? How did it go? Let's continue to have that conversation uh, as we pray for a praying heart. 
So this week, we're going to tackle the, the um, forgive me, why am I having to look down? This is what I'm preaching on. <laughs> the praying heart. The praying heart. That's what we studied last week. And this week, we're going to study the turning heart. How about that? So, can I tell you about my new couch? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so I got this new couch, right? We were driving. I was taking Addie uh, to volleyball practice, and this is like a few weeks ago, so mid-February, all right? And Addie and I look to our right, and we just start laughing at these, like, at the silliness of what was happening because someone was having a yard sale in the middle of February and it was snowing, okay? <laughs> and they were putting things out in their driveway, like, like little tiny cute picnic tables where, where little girls could sit with pink things and flowers. And it was getting snowed on, right? And like lawnmowers and stuff. And we're like, yeah, we're going to sell this. And us coming from Texas, we're like... This is such a weird land. <laughs> Lord, well, these people have garage sales in February. I love it, okay? And so we just kind of laugh. And so, you know, um, then the rest of our family, we get in our minivan and we pick up Addie and we're coming home from volleyball, all six of us. And my sweet wife goes, okay, we just have to stop because the, when, when have we ever ex experienced a yard sale in February? So we stop and we come on in this yard sale and immediately my countenance like drops because it is, it is like clutter central, right? All these little knickknacks and grandma jars and things like that. I'm like, I am going to go home with 12 things that, and I'm, they're going to give me baby, beanie babies, right? And I detest beanie babies okay <laughs> and immediately immediately the guy's like hey everyone comes on in here get something free and I'm like you come here right <laughs> and my kids already have like these stuffed animals and beanie babies still with the tags on them and things like and then my wife I like just brush by it and she like pulls me aside and goes look right and it's this like really pretty couch, okay? And it's 300 bucks. And I'm like, oh, 300 bucks. Wow, that's a really nice couch. And he's telling me about it. He's telling me the value of it and things like that. And you know what? We pulled the trigger, all right? We, we bought this couch, okay? I went home. It was a block away. Uh, got into my little like bank bag, little zipper deal, and laid, laid down 300 bucks and bought it, okay? It was massive. It's just like nice ottoman and matching chair. And... Um, and so I call up a buddy with a truck. I said, hey, you got 10 minutes or so? 10 minutes, that was like way underestimation. Okay, can you help me move this couch? And so um, buy this couch and, you know, we're moving it. And Sophie and I are riding on the couch on the back and it's like snowing sort of like this hail. And we're like covered in this blanket and driving down the street. Okay, welcome to the life of the Newman family. Okay, all right. And so me and, me and this friend, we lift this like 900 pound couch and we're walking it down to my basement, okay? And we've, we've wanted a couch. We've had this, a, another couch. We've wanted this. We've wanted a comfortable couch, right? And so we're like walking in and it's us two. And because it was, it was snowing and like kind of raining and stuff, we just rushed the process because what should have been done first is you take the old couch out first, Newman, and then you put the new couch in. But because of the weather, we 
put the new couch in first. And then it was like trying to get over the old couch and like moving it while we had the other couch. And it was a mess. We got a new couch though. (laughs) Our story today begins with Ahaz, all right? And uh, we're going to see his son go, oh my word, look at this old, nasty couch. We need to refurnish this house, and we got some work to do. And it's going to take some time, but if we don't do it, people are going to get hurt. It's going to be a mess, and uh, and we got to do some cleaning. Would you let your eyes go to chapter 28, verse 19 with me? Watch the problem, okay, of King Ahaz, what he causes in, in, in the people of God. Are you ready? For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. Let me just re- reiterate that. They've been very unfaithful to the Lord. That, should, that, could, that, that term should catch you off guard, almost startle you, in essence. They've been very unfaithful to the Lord. Now, this term, very unfaithful, this described a whole generation, the enormity of the people's sin. And the same term was used in Exodus 32, describing when Moses went up on the mountain and the people looked around and said, how about we make this golden calf and worship it? They were very unfaithful. And they turned their eyes away from the Lord and started worshiping something else, giving their love and affections to something else other than the Lord. Uh, Some of the literal translations are to let loose the reins. Very unfaithful. They let loose the reins. They ran wild. Or uh, one says to become unbridled lawlessness or ungovernable. And uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, for they cast off all restraint. These people were very unfaithful. They, they cast off all restraint. This summarized the people of God. A whole generation of people made up of individuals, but apart for a whole, this is how they behaved. This is, this is how they did things. Economically, Socially, relationally, they were unbridled men and women that just lived and acted, acted without uh, thought, without plan. They just, um, maybe they said, you know what, the future will just take care of itself. We are just consumed with how we feel and what we want right now. No, no, like, thought of, oh yeah, what you reap, you know, you'll reap what you sow, or any of those like biblical principles, they just were unbridled, and they did what they want. This was, this was the description of the people uh, that day, in the day of King Ahaz. And this is the kind of people, or the condition, you could say, that um, our king today, King Hezekiah, received. 
became king at a young age. And he took like this spiritual assessment of the soil and went, oh, wow. We got to take some old couches out of this nation. Can I read to you um, a, a number of verses in a cluster that represents King Hezekiah's first reaction? This is chapter 29, verses 6 through 11. So flip the page. Verse 6. This is King Hezekiah speaking. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out lamps and have not burned incense or burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Verse 8. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Verse 11, my sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. It's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Pretty deep. Look at the courage of King Hezekiah. Like his daddy really blew it. And just one generation, just his father blew it, and King Hezekiah had the courage and power and strength from God to break a generational sin. To say, I'm not going in the way of my dad. I'm doing it differently. I'm not proud of what he did. And I'm going to follow what God wants me to do. The, uh, the Hebrew word that you need to know, this won't really help you at all other than just kind of a cool way to remember stuff, okay? But um, uh, the Hebrew word used all throughout the Old Testament, the most common like command or call to the people of God is, ready? Shuv. Return. Like, Return to me. This is the prophet's message. Look for it. Whenever you read something that like has multi-syllables, like Habakkuk and things like that, just like wait for it because they're going to say it. Come back. Return to God. Let me just read a couple. Ready? Uh, it is used 10 times in Isaiah, 20 times in Jeremiah, 20 times in Ezekiel, 5 times in Amos, 3 in Zechariah and Malachi. And in this book, 2 Chronicles, shuv, return to the Lord. Turn from your ways, turn back to him 19 times. And in this chapter, chapter 30, which we're going to study today, six times. Six times in these verses that are coming alone. The New Testament word for shuv, uh, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament mostly in Greek, is metanoia. 
metanoia. This means a change of mind that results in a change of action, right? You were going this way, but through a change of mind, it traveled down to the 18 inches of your heart and your mind and affections, everything that you are, your soul, your emotions went, I'm done with that way. I'm turning and I'm going this way now. This is metanoia or shuv, shuv to return. Um, let me read a quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's up on the screen for you. It says, this talks about repentance. It says, there must be a divorce between you and your sins. Not a mere separation for a season, but a clear divorce. This is a key component in studying revival, we'll say, to stay with the theme of this book. But this is a key theme in Scripture. This is how we relate and know God. We should be actually very proud of this doctrine, repentance. It makes Christianity unique, right? The, the, the religion of Hinduism says, come, Come and know God in his various 300 million forms and deities. Yeah, Jesus, that's fine too. Know him, study him. He can be one of us, one of the 300 million. There's no repentance in Hinduism. But Christianity says you must leave other gods. You can't embrace, what? No, 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 he says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You must, you must leave your ways, other gods. You're, you must turn and follow me alone. This is Christianity. So we shouldn't be shy about it. But it is a tough one. It is a tough one. It doesn't necessarily make it in all the uh, strategy of church growth books, right? I remember when Hannah and I first uh, received a phone call uh, from Southwest Ohio saying, would you like to come and, and plant a church up here? And as we prayed and we lived on a cul-de-sac and we just walked up and down and up and down and around that cul-de-sac, I remember just feeling this, this, this grip or this, this heavy responsibility like, God, you're you are calling me and us, our family, to go to a, a foreign land for us and tell people what God is like. And I don't have the authority or the wits to edit God's word. My, my role is to expound, to take, to take what is written and to tell you what he is like. Never trim the sails of the gospel, but tell you all of he is. And I, I love what one pastor says, that if we preach the gospel, if we study what God is like and what he has done and how this thing works, that it will attract and offend <laughs> all the right people. <laughs> right? And, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this today. Um, you might not like me for a time, and I'm okay with that. 
You might not like or like. It, it might be a bitter pill to swallow, but I promise that as we study this aspect of God, that he wants his people to return, to repent, that it'll be like a bitter pill. It, it, tough to swallow at first, but it will nourish. And it'll be your health in the long run. So are you with me? Are you ready? Shall we study the deep like doctrines of repentance this morning? Let's do it. Don't get scared by the word doctrines, by the way. It just means teachings from the scriptures. Okay? So um, let's go to chapter 30 and verse 3. Uh, when I say 3, I really mean 6. <laughs> How about that? Okay? Uh, so if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Repent for mercy. Repent for mercy. Isn't that great? How we're t- we've got this serious discussion and God just like, allows a little bit of humor to like be sprinkled in just to lighten our something, lighten us. Okay, um, here's the story, ready? So after Hezekiah was gripped with this reality, we can't like just start moving in new couches. We got to get the old out first. That's how you do this like basement thing. He sends runners or couriers, they're called, Verse 6, so couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes. And the king had commanded, saying, all right, so the king sends out messengers. I got a message for the people. Here's what we need to do as a result of the people of God being very, what? Remember? Very unfaithful, abhorrent. Okay, here we go. Oh, people of Israel says the runners, return, shuv, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. As we study this, this doctrine of repentance, how people turn to God, these, you're going to see these like wonderful wooing powers of the Holy Spirit He's going to motivate you to return to God. So here's, in, in essence, the first motivation. Okay? So Hezekiah is, is calling them to return to the Lord that he might return to them. <laughs> and you're like, what? Uh, I, I wasn't like expecting the writer to go there. Um, and you're like, um, did God leave us? How can he like return to back? And how, oh, wait a second, this is a little deeper than I was initially thinking, right? Uh, friends, family, if, if you feel far from the Lord right now, uh, I can promise, I can assure you that the Lord isn't the one who has left you. Let me just like put that promise in place. Um, he hasn't strayed from you, that you have chosen to go far from him. You are the one who has taken steps away. And when you sin, surely there is a separation, a broken fellowship of God with you. When you sin and, you're, and you are like separated from God, your fellowship is broken you don't experience the fullness of him, the abundant life. You don't experience the fullness and power of God through his son and by his Holy Spirit who is at work within you. You, just, you don't. You become hard and callous to it. 
Let's just look a little deeper in the text, okay? Let your nose go on in there. The obvious call to the people is that they would return to the Lord, but look at this motivation. The next verb used right after turn again would be that God would turn, and he would turn again. So you're like, did those runners, did they get sloppy? Like, did they just get tired and they kind of got sloppy in their theology? What were they saying? And I think it's, it, it can be just this, that when they were calling a people of God to return, they were announcing that God is ready to meet them when they turn with mercy. Okay? If you are taking notes and you want to jot that thing down, it's that God wants to meet you with mercy when you turn in repentance. So repentance, my friends, to the Lord when you're in sin must be done to restore the relationship, okay? Like a transaction must take place between mankind and God. Like our God isn't just going to pretend that nothing happened and just kind of cover or gloss over sin. Man must turn from his wicked ways. He must look to God by faith for the forgiveness of sins. And guess what? Our God won't play hard to get when you do. He's not going to be all junior high-ish. So you're going to be like, well, I mean, you did this, but I ain't doing that now. You hurt me or whatever. Like, he genuinely wants to meet you and be there and be there in the fullness with his storehouse full of mercy. Amen? To be clear, and I know that we're going real deep real quick, but repentance is not a work. It's not, not something that you can just muster up and get better at. Like, this repentance starts and ends with God. Repentance is a grace that God initiates and carries and causes. But somehow in the mystery of it all, He still works through the saints to call His people to repent. That's why He says, uh, that's why Paul says in Romans that faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word. So our call in evangelism and in discipleship and all of this is to speak God's word and let it work. And some return, some come, some don't. It's not our fault when people don't repent unless we're not speaking the very words of God. And if you repent, my friends, if you repent, you will experience the great mercies of God. If you want to enjoy the great like, comforts of your new couch, you got to take the old couch out, right? I mean, can you imagine if I was like taking this couch and I, like, if I just like set it right on top of our old one, you know, we'd like have to climb on it. We'd be like sitting, our legs would be dangling and trying to like eat a frozen pizza and a drink on that like couch just hanging. Like people would get hurt. 
and things would get spilled, and, and uh, we wouldn't be able to, like, put our legs down or legs out. It would just be a mess. It'd be all wobbly and stuff. Like, there's an order to this thing called moving furniture into a house and putting it on the solid ground, and there's an order to walking with God. You can't just, like, keep on doing good things to put it on top of stuff to try to... You have to clean it out. You have to come back. You have to repent from your sin. And we don't want to be shy about this because when you do, you experience the mercy of God. And so this week, like, come out of it. Come out of the sin and, like, be with him and experience him. You can't unless you repent. There's great benefit in repentance. Number two, repent for God's reputation on the earth. All right? And already this should be like, whoa. Okay, I was thinking maybe I should just repent because then I could feel better. I have like a better day. But like King Hezekiah sends out these runners and gives them motivation to repent And it becomes a much broader understanding of why they must turn to God. Let me read verse 7. I'm still in chapter 30, and it reads like this. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who are faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation as you see. Okay, now, I, I, I've been in this text, and I understand that, that not every day you're like just breezing through Second Chronicles. We hope that you're following along with us in your reading plan, but like if you're coming to this initially, let me just probably anticipate your first reaction, okay? You saw desolation, and you went, that's a bad word, and so if I kind of just lift my eyes from the text immediately, it would be like this. Oh, I got to repent or else I am going to be punished in the future sense. I'm going to, my life is going to be a desolation. Um, and even like, I've, I'm going to go to hell or something like that. Okay? And, and um, let me just say that the, the, the council of scriptures do teach that. That there is significant ramifications for those who do not repent for eternity. I am going to propose that the, the writer is doing something different in this passage today, okay? Um, and I, I, I'm going to just base it off of that last phrase. So just look at it again with me. We've got to wrestle with how the foot runners said, hey, you will be a desolation, and right now there's a desolation going on because of your fathers and your brothers, and present tense, present time, right now, look at those last words, as you see. So desolation would mean like a waste, a wasteland, a city, a farmland that is absolutely like just hardened over and is a waste. So one side, or, or we could say like one sharp edge of this sword, like repent, come back to the Lord, would be like, because the generation before us wasted their life by not repenting. Like, 
Their, wife, their life was just, I didn't mean to say wife there, okay? But their life was a waste. And when you look upon their life, other translations say it was an object of horror, right? Um, some of my girls, we, we've been editing their papers and they've been using words and we've been talking about the emotive or the reactionary response if you use this certain word, right? And um, the writer uses horror in this word, in, in this text, so that the, the reader would go like this, oh. So they wasted their life. What a horror. Oh. Friends, let's repent. Let's come back to God. And that means that the people of God, they should have a fear of living like that. We're seeing from this text that like living a life of unrepentance is not just detrimental or a waste to an individual, like to an individual soul, but we're seeing that like the world around them are looking in on them and their reaction is one of horror. They're going, those people, that's disgusting. All of a sudden, this becomes a very evangelistic text. Repent to be holy so that all may see God in you. Um, just a side note, um, because we know each other, we've been growing deeply in each other in relationship, uh, this is a great passage and a great time to say this, that um, we, we really believe that God has no grandchildren that when one places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they become a son or daughter of the Lord. That would be to say that I'm not a Christian just because my mom and dad are Christians, right? It's not some sort of blood that is passed to me, and because I'm an American or because I'm a Newman, therefore I will go to heaven. That's not, that's not how the scriptures tell us how one is saved, that everyone will be judged individually based off of belief. Did they believe? For it is by grace you have been saved through your parents? No. But by faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one will boast. But there is something to say about uh, generations of legacies and generations of sin. Like the Newman family is not perfect. My grandpa was a drunk. My mom and dad um, were what you would call first generation Christians. Doesn't mean that you can boast because in and of your own strength you be no, no, no. They were saved. But their parents before them weren't weren't saved. They they gave their lives to Jesus, right? And I saw a faithful witness in my mom and dad, and I and then the Lord opened my eyes. 
And through, because faith comes through hearing, I heard the gospel, I saw it in their lives, and I also, I repented of my sins and placed my faith and trust in Jesus. And so like, it's not like necessarily a biblical term, but I, I'm a, a second generation Christian. I think, I think you guys understand me, right? And there are, there are many among us where God is calling you to break the generational tendencies or sins just like Hezekiah. To say, I love my mom and dad. I love my grandma and grandpa or whatever. But I am going to follow the Lord with my life. I'm going I'm to pursue them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to invite them over. But when Thanksgiving comes and they're under my roof, I'm going to say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Let's pray before we eat this turkey. And we're going to be grateful to God. And you can do it. If you have the power of God in you, you can do it. And he wants you to be courageous in these moments. Will you do that? And for those of you who are, who are sons and daughters of God, but you also have godly examples in your mom and dad, continue the legacy of Jesus Christ in your family. Like decide, be grateful for your mom and dad and go, I am going to live for Jesus Christ. And I, while I'm in my mom and dad's roof, under, under their roof, I am going to pursue him with all my might, with all vigor. I'm going to do it. So mom and dad, how should I do it? Train me, disciple me, help me. Help me grow in my, in, my, in my relationship with the Lord. Help me not sin. Call me to repentance. This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. And as a result, revival in the heart will take place and the community around us will see a purity We'll see a light that is shining bright, but it must come by people who were going here and now they're going here. Number three, repent to serve. Number three, repent to serve. Let's read verse eight together in the text. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were. But yield yourself to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. Okay, so now we're gleaning from this passage an even more greater understanding of what it means to repent. We're saying it's not just, hey, repent means don't do this, don't do this, and stop this, this, and this. Now he's saying hey, return and do this. Like set your gaze, affections, faith in an active manner upon something else. Don't just leave and be ambiguous in your look towards God. Actually do three things. Three things. Can you, see, can you just follow it with me in the scriptures? Number one, yield to yourself. If you like to write in your Bibles, put in number one over yield. Number two, come to the sanctuary. That's the next command that, that the um, runners said, you must do this. Return to God by doing this. Yield to him. Come back. Come to the sanctuary. 
And in this context, come to Jerusalem, to the temple, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And number three, serve. Serve the Lord your God. So when you repent, you start asking the Lord, obviously, for help to do away with sin, but then you also say, Lord, make make my heart full that my hands might serve you and and whatever you, I yield to you. I, I don't, it's, I'm not trying to make this up, but I want to follow you. Would you show me? That's the, the heart of the repentant. Number four, and this, is, this will be the last verse that we cover today. Repent to commune. Repent to commune. Watch this ultimate motivator that the runners send out and they yell on the rooftops why people should come to the Lord. They say, come to the Lord so that you can see his face, that you can get him, which is enough. Come and be satisfied and drink deeply of him. I'll read it. Here we go. For if you return to the Lord, verse 9, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return. Isn't that beautiful? You would think that, wow, with such a great message of repentance and so, such clarity and such like uh, doctrinal soundness or whatever, that all would come in Judah and Israel. And sure, the call went out to everyone, but honestly, some of the responses were this. Eh. If you were writing a text message, what emoticon would it be? I don't know. But if you were like shorthanding, it would be M-E-H. Meh. Would be, this, would be the response. That's nice. And some stayed. And then some said, oh, I want that. I, I'm, I'm, I've been wasting my life. And I need to turn. I've just, been, I've just been throwing it away. And so they, they come. The narrative continues to explain that they held a, a seven-day feast, and it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it followed the Passover where the people really praised the Lord with such great joy and gladness. The Levites, they also came and they served faithfully within the function that, that, they, that they were assigned to do. They, they, they gave appropriate portions in the sacrifices. They offered fellowship offerings. They sang praises and, and they, eat, they, they ate what they were supposed to. All the people, they were so caught up with, with joy in the Lord that they decided to just go ahead and extend that party. All the festivities were, were extended for a whole other week. And the king, Hezekiah, and, and his, the leadership were so just honored and blessed. And, oh, Lord, look at what you're doing. People are coming. They want you again. It's not because I'm cool or I, because we like rebranded our logo and now the temple is like hip and millennial. No, they just, they want you. They want you again. They want, they want to experience the dwelling ministry of God. And so 
the leadership provided 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for sacrifice. And the, the chronicler, which were, I think was Ezra, he recorded this. You don't have to go there. It says, Since the days of Solomon, there had never been anything like this. God heard from heaven his dwelling place and their outpouring of praise and consecration occurred. Some of you um, perhaps might be um, following this line of thought that repentance is something that you do to become a Christian and then like you don't really do that anymore. That's, that's for immature, um, not, uh, I don't know, just like, I did that when I was seven. <laughs> can, I just, can I just read you a quote that I, I've just been chewing on this week? This is by uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who came to Christ and just writes, I, I would just commend any of her books. It says this, repentance is our daily fruit, our, our hourly washing our minute-by-minute wake-up call. Like God wants you to, to not, not just clean the house on the first of every month and then you're good to go, or like once a year, like Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and then, uh-uh. Like we can experience this beautiful thing called r- renewal, restoration with God, hourly, daily, minute-by-minute. It, it's... It's actually really clear. We just like go, hey Lord, where am, where am I blowing it? I got any sin in my life? Lord, would you search my heart? We sang it earlier. It's from Psalm 139. Look at the end of that verse. It's beautiful. End of that chapter. Search me, O God, and know me. Test my thoughts. Try me and know my anxious ways. That's a beautiful verse to memorize and pray every day. Lord, I got any anxious thoughts? Would you help me? Lord, I confess my sin to you. I repent and come back. I return. This Hebrew scholar named Walter Kaiser says this, may a whole new, and this is a great prayer for the people of God, may a whole new wave of repentance and turning to God lead to a downpour of his spirit. And may this revived vitality lead to such widespread obedience that many will be swept into the kingdom of God in unprecedented numbers. King Hezekiah was one of Judah's greatest kings and most devout spiritual leaders. He was, he was devoted to God. He was devoted to restoring the temple. He was devoted to calling the people back and pointing their eyes and hearts, affections to the Lord. He called the whole nation, Israel and Judah, to observe the Passover together. And he cleansed the land of idols. That was the the invitation that Hezekiah gave. He gave it to real people in real time to shuv, to return, to come to Jerusalem and remember what God has done. Now, this morning, we're going to do the same thing. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the very words of God, 
that even he would be reviving hearts. Perhaps there's, there's something in your life where you've like just tried to stack on top of and, and just hoped it would like eventually go away. Like you're like Newman and putting his new couch in and you're just, you just, you just need to clean out the old. You've never repented of it. You never said, you know what, that I acknowledge, Lord, that was a sin. Would you wipe that away? Some are sins of commission, that which you've done. Some are sins of omission, when God has said, do this, Mike. And you said, I ain't doing that. Both need to be repented of. And how we do that and how we set our hearts right is that we remember Jesus. We remember what God has done. God chose his son, the Lord Jesus, to be the final Passover lamb. Israel and Judah were called to remember the Passover when they were in Egypt and, and through the, the, just the beautiful process of Moses calling you know, his people out and telling Pharaoh what to do, that, that he said, you got to take a lamb. You got to slaughter it. You got to get bloody. And you got to put it all over your door. Put it on the top. Put it on the sides. You need to be covered. You need to be atoned for. If you don't, you will die. And so the people of God either believed him or they didn't. And they said, well, yeah, we'll probably be fine. I mean, I've got an easygoing personality. Things will work out. Let's, sweetheart, let's kill our, 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 our livelihood. No, that one's blemished. Let's get a perfect one. Let's cut it. And let's, let's get all messy. This thing is messy. And let's put it on our doorpost so that we won't die. And then the angel of the Lord came through their midst. And he judged. And our God was glorified that day when people trusted in the covering. And so from then on out, they said, wow, we got to remember that the people of God, they were covered. Let's, let's celebrate Passover. And then when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he just knew it. He said, well, there, there's the lamb. And that he's going to take, he is our Passover, and he is going to cover our sins now. Not just once a year, but any time we come. And that same lamb said, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to make a better system. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who is going to be like living inside you. And you're going to be the new temple. You're going to carry him. And, but, but when you gather, like remember the body. Remember the blood. Remember that Jesus the Lamb was, was covered for your sins. And when you do this, you'll be renewed and refreshed. You'll receive his mercies. And the people who aren't the people of God will look upon us and they'll go, either I want that or uh, no, no, I'm going to waste my life. And so then we, with our words and with our deeds and our love, we share and, and then we watch the word of God, the seed, go out. Our Jesus, he yielded his life 
No one took it from him. He laid it down. And he was a willing sacrifice in complete submission and agreement to the Father. He came to a place where he was willing and he served. Just like Hezekiah said, hey, return to serve Jesus, our model, our trailblazer, our forerunner. He served the Father by taking on this fierce anger from the text. He took it on himself. He bore it. He carried it. That we might be saved. It's beautiful. Today, if you call upon him, if you humble yourself, if you pray, and if you turn from your wicked ways, you will not be left alone because God has promised that he'll hear you and he will forgive your sins. There's a transaction that can take place. And he's calling you to ask for forgiveness. And today, I'm calling you to ask for forgiveness from God. Turn from your ways and look to him. Communion is not just about, oh man, I got to confess all my sins now. But this morning, let it be just that. Let it be getting right with God. And then tonight, when we celebrate it again, double dose today, friends, we will celebrate. It's always a celebration. Let's take this angle today. Can I pray for us? And so, Father, we, we bow before you and ask Would you search our hearts? Your son Jesus said, if there is anyone who is to come to the table, let him be examined, lest he not heap judgment upon himself in a greater way. And so we, we in in humble authority, invite all who have believed in him, all who have trusted in his name, not by biological association, but by the blood of Jesus. We say, come, but first be made right with God. Repent of your sins. Receive mercy. Repent for the sake of evangelism to the lost. Repent in order to see his face. We need that, Jesus. Would you help us now? It's in his name we pray. Amen.